Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. On a dark, cold, wintry night, I like nothing more than encasing myself in the hide of a bear that I hunted using my uh, bear hands and then starting a fire using all my enemies before drinking a hot cup of revenge. Uh, But obviously, that's a bit tricky for some of you to do. And I am all about universal ideas that work for everyone. So instead, uh, if you've got a cold bum and seek some comfort for yourself or loved ones with cold bums, then why not head to British-Boxers.com for their range of luxury casual wear, what is all made ethically and by properly paying people and doing all the stuff that I wouldn't even have to mention if the world was a better place and everywhere was run by nice types. But it's not, which is why I must seek revenge. Sorry, but... As it is, uh, British Boxers are a great company to support, not just because they're lovely people, but also because their jammies are well nice, as are their nightshirts, undergarmentals, and they've even got a section called Kids and Pets, which obviously sells clothes for kids and pets, not actual. sell kids Luckily, by having ears of taste and listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off any purchases at British-Boxers.com by using the code PARPOLBRO15! So go do that right now. Or you could hunt a grizzly and destroy a cartel. But I mean, to be honest, it is a lot of work. It's quite tiring. Ethically, very dubious. Maybe just buy some nice PJs instead. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that doesn't do political posturing, but that's because it's really hard to get into those positions when you have a backbone. I'm Tin and Yebin this week, as the Prime Minister and left-behind imaginary friend that stopped being fun years ago, Boris Johnson, tells the Confederation of British Industries that Pepper Pig World is his kind of place. Well, of course it is, because precocious, obnoxious swines are embraced there. It's a wonder he was allowed to leave and not told to keep his costume on and go back to his shift entertaining children. It's yet another week in the clown car that is British politics, with more parts of it falling off and flying into the air, but those driving still allowed to be at the wheel, even though it's no longer connected to the car. The government has been criticised for the increase in asylum seekers crossing the channel to get to Britain, because if we dare suggest that we should care for people whose lives were ruined by climate change we've caused, or arms that we've sold, then there's every chance they'll turn up and realise it's actually worse here and they'd prefer to go home. 
I wonder if we actually have now achieved the cult status of being so bad that it's weirdly enjoyable for people, like a one-star play or film that you just have to see because everyone's told you how rubbish it is. You just kind of have to understand how it still functions without full collapse. Eventually, people crossing the channel won't be just those in need of shelter, but everyone from all over the world stampeding over the border guards that only applied to that job because they got in trouble trying to drown people at the swimming pool. The masses will arrive on these shores and then take part in an organised sing-along viewing as the government do their classic number levelling up while simultaneously watching the Midlands fall into a sinkhole. In perhaps a small glimmer of hope, over the past week the Conservatives have seen their popularity collapse in line with the state of the country. One particular unpopular decision was cancelling the eastern branch of the HS2 to Leeds, but they have insisted that somehow that is still fulfilling the government's pledges because they promised they'd deliver HS2 and they will. Yes, but it's much like ordering a big food shop online and then they turn up and hand you a bag with one potato in it saying nothing else was in stock, but hey, they did deliver so they haven't let you down. The high-speed rail line is still going to cost £96 billion, nearly five times what it was originally estimated at, but now we're getting even less for that cash and it's going to connect fewer places. So, it's not really at all dissimilar to Brexit or the NHS or education or really anything that has been tainted by the Conservatives since 2011 with their work ethic that you'd expect to see on a daytime TV programme hosted by Gloria Honeyford about cowboy businesses and how you shouldn't go outside as everyone everywhere is out to con you. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps, a man whose place in life is to sit beside Jabba the Hutt and cackle, insists that the government's promises to level up the North have not been watered down, which can only be true because it's impossible to dilute something that wasn't there in the first place, hence why they're just now pouring cold water on any possibility of the Northern powerhouse. The Prime Minister has since tried to get businesses on his side, despite only a year or so ago saying fuck business, but then he is the sort of man that would think that maybe, just maybe business might see that as as a proposition. So he barely delivered a speech to the Confederation of Business Industries that had such low memorable content that even he forgot it halfway through. Apparently he said there will be a return to people going to the office for work because there are sound evolutionary reasons why Mother Nature does not like working from home which I assume are because her home is the earth and humans keep making it a really fucking unbearable place to be. If the Prime Minister turned up to my home and stuck a brand new coal mine in it and funnelled a ton of sewage into my living room, I'd probably not want to work there either. New homes, he said, are to have charging stations for electric vehicles from 2022, which sounds really good, but so few homes are being built, I wonder if it'll just mean the one person who does get a new one will unwillingly have a fuel stop in their front yard. But aside from that content, which was barely anything, and lots and lots of nonsensical wittering, the one bit of Boris Johnson's speech that everyone reported on was when he praised the theme park Pepper Pig World. Of course he did, and of course he loves it, because a make-believe place catered for toddlers' understandings of how things work is basically what he lives in every single day. According to senior Conservatives, the plan is to relaunch Boris Johnson, no, sadly not into space, but to voters as the delivery man, which doesn't really work for him on a number of levels. I mean, for a start, he didn't work every day during the pandemic and he was no way as useful. But also because delivery drivers don't have a card that they leave for you that says, sorry, I didn't deliver your package like I promised I would, but to be honest, I never had it in the first place and I gave all your cash to my friends. Unless, I suppose, it's like how Little John was actually pretty big, and so Johnson can be delivery man in that kind of sarcastic stag do type nickname way, because as yet he's failed to deliver much except his own DNA into a cavalcade of unhappy recipients. On top of the HS2 cancellation, last week he also failed to restrict MPs taking second jobs, bringing in proposed parliamentary standards rule changes that will affect maybe 10 MPs at best, as it will limit paid outside work to fewer than 20 hours a week. 
And this is a purposeful choice to make it not only look like the government are doing something, but also pretend that MPs do actual proper amounts of work, rather than, say, spending one hour a month being a consultant, where all they do is say, sure, hit up my bank account, and I'll make sure you get a VIP contract to provide all the country's sanitation facilities, because all evidence says your company's a shit show. MPs voted to U-turn on ripping up the parliamentary standards and Johnson said that he got it wrong on sleaze, which translated means he thinks he got it right but then you all ruined it by noticing it so he couldn't get away with it. Boris Johnson is the sort of man who'd turn up to a stranger's funeral just to steal all the finger food and would only apologise when spotted as he tried to sneak out with pockets full of cucumber sandwiches, mini sausage rolls and a bottle of wine. Questioned by the Commons Liaison Committee, the Prime Minister said the ministerial code was very important. But earlier that same day, the government's QC told the High Court that Johnson didn't have to sack or discipline the Home Secretary and the sort of person who'd cause a cat to hiss if she was within a mile radius, Pretty Patel, over bullying accusations because the ministerial code is not required by law or regulated by law. But then that is probably why Johnson thinks it's so important because it's yet another mechanism that makes it look like he's doing something when actually it means absolutely fuck all. He's probably also a fan of superfoods and the hashtag be kind for exactly the same reasons. Johnson did agree to release the minutes of a key telephone conversation between Randox and former MP and walking casket Owen Patterson after they were awarded a massive Covid contract for supplying testing equipment that they then failed to complete. Sadly though the minutes could not be located which is of course shocking, completely surprising and a real shame. I can only guess that they must be in exactly the same place as Owen Patterson's morals. The other thing Johnson also failed to deliver in the past week is the Conservatives' pledge that no one needing care will have to sell their home to pay for it. Instead, it now looks like for many poorer families, it'll be a choice between much-needed care or keeping their home, like a really mean would-you-rather article in Saga magazine. Much like social media is far more antisocial in its nature and very little worthwhile communication, the Conservatives appear to want to change the meaning of social care so it includes absolutely neither of the things in its name. When the government tried this before, under protractor creation, Theresa May, it was nicknamed the Dementia Tax and nearly cost them a 2017 election amongst other reasons. As is typical of the callous government, they seem to be hoping that people have completely forgotten about that. Conservative MP, Minister for Lots of Petty Things and one of those cardboard magnetic faces that you shake iron filings onto, Paul Scully, said in a Radio 4 interview that it's a fair bill as rich and poor people will end up paying the same. When told that would mean that poor people paid more, he said that's what levelling up is. Ah, so we finally get a definition and it's that poor people will be used as makeshift steps for rich people to climb. I bet Paul Scully's review of the horror film Hostel is, yes, that's levelling up. The bill will largely cost people in the north a lot more than those in the south, but on the plus side, at least they'll have saved money by not being able to get costly tickets for high-speed rail services. I can only hope that this plan is thwarted by loads of people placing their hats on the Palace of Westminster and that automatically meaning that that's their home. I'm pretty sure that's how the law works anyway. But this bill isn't just about social care, it's called the Health and Care Bill, so the future of the NHS also rests on it, and currently the provisions in it are much like the ghost of Christmas future for the health service, showing a large gravestone with the health service's name on it and a small plaque saying it was paid for by Virgin Healthcare. It will remove the statutory duty to arrange provision of secondary medical services, but on the plus side should finally give an employment boost to all those dodgy cash-in-hand back-alley surgeons who've been out of work since the 1940s. Private healthcare companies will be able to sit on Integrated Care Systems Board, but I'm sure they'll be totally transparent with all their minutes and oh, oh no sorry, no they can't be located. How odd. 
Labour are calling this bill a care con. Yeah, catchy. Nice one. I swear their aim when writing all these is to try and sound like a real estate seller talking to a teenager. The government don't seem bothered by the name CareCon as it just sounds like a big event they've set up to show how much they give a shit. But at the vote tonight, there is a chance that Tory MPs will rebel against it, which means 10 will, Labour will abstain just in case someone is worried that they have opinions and it will still go through on a majority of 600,000. In yet another area where the Tories aren't doing well this week, it's failing to stop people seeking refuge by travelling to the UK in small boats, rather than waiting for the Home Office to fail to find safe travel for them to get here any other way, so they can just die at the hands of a regime the British government probably helped put in power. 1,185 people crossed the Channel in a single day last November, causing many who are scared of other human beings to be very upset, even though if you just told any of them it was a sponsored thing for children in need, they'd be well up for it. The number of people trying to claim asylum here has actually decreased, but thanks to our immigration system, the number in small boats has increased as there's no process for asylum seekers to do in advance of arriving. Of course, in a country currently understaffed in many key areas, you'd think a wise person might suggest this influx of people seeking safety could really benefit the country, but sadly Pretty Patel is in charge and her unfortunate condition means she can only feel warmth when vulnerable people are treated like shit. And what else is she to do as it gets closer to winter? Really though, what is Pretty Patel to do to deter people coming here when her very presence in a country should be enough to make absolutely no one want to arrive here ever again? Shadow Home Secretary and belly button Nick Thomas-Simmons accused Patel of comprehensively failing to deter migrants because the opposition still have a ton of leftover controls on immigration mugs from 2014 and they really need to shift them to get some funds. Great move, Labour. Instead of providing an alternative humanitarian point of view about this supposed crisis, why not just get as anti-immigration as the Conservatives, which their voters won't believe and your voters will leave you for? I don't think providing the light alternative of the same thing works for politics in the same way it works for margarine. Still, I suppose another way to deter asylum seekers might be for them to realise there's zero hope of kindness over here from any party, so they may as well go somewhere that has more warmth towards human life, like, I don't know, Antarctica. During a TV interview, the health secretary and rejected M&M's character, Sajid Javid, queried, if you are an asylum seeker, why have you not claimed asylum in a safe country already? So it's good that someone has admitted we're not a safe country at all, and maybe we should just pop skulls on poles around the beaches with big signs saying, save yourselves underneath. Though I suppose they'd get obscured every time the tide came in and they got absolutely covered in our shit. Minister for Existing Without Anyone Really Noticing Much, Stephen Barclay, is going to lead a review in The Rise of Crossings, which feels very much like asking a child to do the pollen count and really hoping they won't bother you for several hours. A proposed rule change has also been sneakily added to the Nationality and Borders Bill that will allow the Home Office to strip individuals of their citizenship without giving any notice. Um, That is absolutely terrifying, but then as things in this country get increasingly worse, I suppose it could feel a bit like a get-out-of-jail-free card if you woke up one morning and found out you absolutely didn't have to be here anymore. It is actually really, really scary, very, very fascistic and authoritarian. But if I may dream, I enjoy the possibility that Pretty Patel hates so many people that in a fit of rage she'll remove absolutely everyone's citizenship in the country except her own and then have to live on this island all by herself with rivers of pierced food shortages and no one left to bully. Adding to the Delivery Man Johnson list, yes, another one. A National Audit Office report says UK ministers were unprepared for the impact of COVID, saying that pandemic exposed a vulnerability to whole system emergencies. That must be why the government are trying to dismantle big chunks of it so there'll be less parts to screw up next time. Grant Shapps, ever playing an improv-style game called What's the Most Mewling Shit You Can Say as an Answer, repeated the oft-said line of We were prepared for a pandemic, but COVID was the wrong kind of pandemic. 
Yes, that is true. They had absolutely everything in place for a virus that magically bestowed all their friends with skills they never had before, and that's why they gave all that millions of funding to Randox or Pals of Sea Cucumber Michael Gove for testing equipment and PPE, despite them not being able to fulfil them whatsoever. Ah, well, somewhere out there is a multiverse where overnight they learned to magic protective equipment through portals in time and space, but sadly here in Earth 1218, Cruel Covid just decided to make people cough to death instead. Europe is currently experiencing its fourth wave of Covid, with two Austrian states going into full lockdown again. But luckily, scientists say the UK won't see a wave spike like that because our cases are already so high, we're basically drowning in it. It's kind of like how you can't get a hangover if you never ever stop being drunk. Anyway, we all believe Covid is over here, so I'm sure if you just ignore it, it'll go away. Cases and deaths are very high, but only if you think about them. And Boris Johnson has warned that it's going to be okay, there's just no place for complacency. Which isn't true, as number 10 is an absolute home for it. He is the delivery man though, and what that means is that he'll do something about it in a very vague time frame on a day that's inconvenient for everyone, and then we'll just expect you to stay in and wait. After apologising for not wearing a mask on a hospital visit when he was asked to, Johnson was again snapped on a crowded tube train, maskless. Maybe his issue is he's just not sure which face to put one on. Or maybe it's because the only thing he really can deliver successfully is Covid. In other news, the Prime Minister's dad and dismantled 70s sofa Stanley Johnson has been accused by a Conservative MP, Caroline Noakes, of inappropriately touching her, which is, um, well, completely unsurprising. I mean, considering the influence that Stanley appears to have had on his son, I'm starting to think Boris Johnson ignoring most of his kids might actually be an act of kindness. The Prime Minister has again refused to make sexual harassment a crime, but now that's probably because he doesn't want to make someone appear after having to borrow money off them to bail out his dad. Culture Secretary and proof that intelligence isn't key for survival, Nadine Dorries, says that social media has been hijacked, which is awful news. And I'm sorry to see some utter horror, obviously, took control of her account years ago and just kept posting hateful shit on it. It must be really awful for her. How on earth will she get it back? Dorries says left-wing activists have made people afraid to speak out in case they get cancelled, but she also wants to cancel left-wing activists from social media. So I worry she's going to hear about her own plans eventually and be outraged any day now. Meanwhile, cosplay of Marty Feldman in Young Frankenstein and former editor of the Daily Mail, Paul Dacra, has thankfully pulled out of the running to be the new chair of Ofcom, blaming the left wing who really run the country because that's what happens when you're so right wing the Tories are to the other side of you. He called his experience an infelicious dalliance with the blob, which he means the blob as in the civil servant contingency, but it does just sound like he tried to snog the Prime Minister and it went really wrong. And finally, veteran BBC political journalist exactly what it would look like if you waxed a chimp, Andrew Marr, is quitting the Broadcasting Corporation after 21 years, so he says he can get his own voice back. I had absolutely no idea they'd been dubbing him over like Jerry Adams this whole time. Hello, you. God, that was a bit uh, messy, wasn't it? There's just a lot that's gone on this week. I had like a whole list of other things I was going to mention uh, this week and no time. No time for all of that. Too many things have happened. None of them are linked. I mean, it's just... Again, there's already so many things the government have fucked up in such a short space of time. I need to do this daily, don't I? I'm not doing this daily. I would really like a life. Um, how are you? I've just had like the loveliest weekend of shows in Cardiff at the Glee Club. And um, and it was one of those ones um, where it's basically it was my first full weekend of shows away. So I've done lots of shows since we could do them with COVID and all that. But I hadn't gone away for a weekend properly um, since like uh, early 2020. Um, so I was really grumbling. I was like, oh, I don't want to be away from home. I'm going to miss uh, the little one. It's going to be 
rubbish. And then the gigs were so lovely, and it was so nice to see other acts, and the gigs were really fun. And well, despite uh, on the Friday, there was a 19-strong stag dude who'd been drinking since 7am, and they were too drunk to even heckle properly, um, which is, is weird. It's not even intimidating at that point. It's just sort of, ah, oh, please shut up. It's like sort of when you're trying to do something, there's a fly just buzzing around you. It's really irritating. Um, 19 strong isn't really the right word for people who can barely sit up, is it? 19 weak, 19 collapsing. Anyway, despite them, um, it was a delight. And I now I definitely like comedy again. Um, it's really nice when that happens, isn't it? It's really nice when you like the thing that you do. Uh, and being in another city was great. I love Cardiff. I haven't been in Cardiff for ages. Um, even though it was rugby on the Saturday, and that means uh, that Cardiff tends to look like a plane has just sort of airdropped revellers from above. Uh, one man was selling scarves that were half Wales and half Australia on them. And I appreciate his desire for unity, but no one was buying one. It does. I'm not even a sports fan, but I do feel like it sort of ruins sport a bit if you go, "Come on, everyone!" Yeah, like, how does that work? And how? Where would you sit in the pit? You'd have to sit in the middle of the pitch, wouldn't you? That'd get really dangerous with rugby. Them are big lads. Anyway, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't know anything about rugby. I do like that it doesn't matter in rugby how you do as long as you try. Um, right, I'm keeping this middle bit a bit brief, uh, like a pair of pants. Um, the interview is a long one. Oh, and I should warn you, uh, I didn't. I probably should put this at the top of the episode, but it's here as well. Um, this interview is all about childcare, child protection. So there are mentions of abuse, not in any particular detail, not in any particular case. It is just mentioned. Um, if the mere mention of that upsets you, um, then I've already done it, which is terrible. But maybe give this one uh, a miss. Um, it is an important one, though. It is a great chat and one I probably should have done way earlier on the show it's not a subject I've covered um, but I may have said this before I, I grew up in uh, with both my parents working in child protection and they still do um, so basically I hear about this stuff all the time and it's an incredibly important issue but I just sort of regularly forget that I should mention it on here as well um, I think it's sort of automatically the problem isn't it anything your parents do suddenly becomes less not less important to you but sort of every day and then that doesn't really happen to rich people does it like my parents being in social work made me basically go oh, I'm never doing that that's really stressful Whereas, you know, rich people, I suppose, their parents doing that, they often think, oh, I can do that probably really easy. They'll just kind of get me into it for free. Mate, I suppose it's sort of less inheritance uh, when your mum and dad save kids. Like, if only my parents had broadcast racism on news networks or exploited people for labour so that maybe this guy could have a holiday, maybe, uh, uh, you know... pay a bit more attention to it. can't believe they didn't think of that. It's really selfish. Um, so anyway, there's that. What am I talking about? Um, and uh, there is a wee bit in the middle about the social care bill that may or may not have gone through before this episode is even out. I could have waited, but it wasn't going to be done until 10pm. I couldn't, I'm tired. I can't be bothered. Um, I mean, and also, it's almost certainly gone through, hasn't it? It almost has. Tory rebel is one of those terms, isn't it, that contradicts itself like affordable housing or James Cleverly. If I'm wrong, then strike me down with something very soft and preferably that I can eat afterwards. A baguette, maybe. Strike me down with a baguette I would I will happily I will happily have a baguette in in sort of wrongness um but I've got a horrible feeling it will have gone through um oh the, the other thing I have to uh, mention is uh, I'm going to plug another podcast I'm going to plug a popular podcast that doesn't need me to plug it um but but uh, Mark Marin the American comedian's uh, WTF podcast um he did a podcast a couple of weeks ago when's it 11th of November and it is an episode called Cancelled Comedy with Cliff Nesteroff and David Bianculi um and it, it's like the most fascinating chat about wow, how people all the way since like the late 1800s have been saying, oh, you can't say anything in comedy anymore without being cancelled. And just how bullshit that argument is and how often it's to do with people being very upset that they can't insult minorities uh, anymore. Um, it's an absolutely brilliant chat. And then the, the case study they talked to about 
comedians who were cancelled, um, the Smothers Brothers, for being um, political and criticising the government. Um, uh, it's brilliant. Just go listen to it. I've genuinely, I haven't enjoyed a listen to that, uh, a listen like that in quite some time. So I thoroughly recommend the WTF podcast with Mark Maron from a few weeks ago. And all of them. They're all great. But he doesn't need me plugging him. He's got like 7 million listeners an episode or something. Jesus. Um, right. As always, thanks to you lot who donate to the patreon.com forward slash bro and to the few of you who still throw little things at the uh, ko-fi.com forward slash bro and if you're super big fans of the show um I should let you know that I'm going to do another live Parpol Bro at the Leicester Comedy Festival on February the 5th um, and I believe tickets that are live on their festival website now it's like leicestercomedyfestival.com.org.uk I don't know like Google it you know how to use the internet um, I've no idea what the live show is going to involve um, but it'll probably be this uh, except you'll see my face so that may make it worse for you sorry in advance um, I'm also going to do a stand-up work in progress solo show on the 4th and kids shows on the 5th and 6th too so I'm basically I'm going to be going on about all of that nearer the time essentially if you live in Leicester you won't be able to get away from me for about three days but then after that I'll never return yeah no I probably will though uh, I, I, I like Leicester I love those one way systems miniature statues of liberty and um, general I said statues there's only one and the general indifference to comedy that much of the city seems to have particularly during the comedy festival um, right oh god I said this was going to be brief okay let's crack on with some of this stuff <laughs> It should come as no surprise that the government aren't too hot on social care for children when they're led by a man who cares for his own kids like some people do phone charges by, you know, just leaving them everywhere they stay and getting a new one rather than collecting them. Remember the last Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, who always looked like a startled dill horse and seemed to think what children really want was to be in school forever while riddled with Covid, which I've never seen a single one put on their list to Father Christmas. Well, him, yeah him. Back in January, he launched an independent review of social care to radically reform the system that some total scoundrels have been wrecking over the last 10 years with cuts and negligence. I just really wish someone could find out who that was. Who could it have been? I'm so curious. Like all independent reviews set up by the Conservatives, the only thing it seems to be truly independent of is the experience or knowledge of the required task. Its chair is a man called Josh McAllister, who looks like he's forever posing for a top temp staff member of the week photo in a call centre that tries to make people buy holidays that don't exist. And he's so independent that prior to the role, he received 10 payments from the Department of Education to fund his enterprise training social workers. Frontline, which is the name of his business, fast-tracks students with five weeks of training before getting them a year's placement in a frontline children's service. And yes, nothing says proper care for vulnerable children, quite like qualifying people for social work in less time than someone would need to get beach body ready. Which, by the way, obviously means in my case, looking like you need to be buried up to your neck in sand so no one can see the other bits. The government could have chosen someone with years of expertise in the area, but that, of course, would go against their brand. The Care Review gave their plans for a major reform in June, with McAllister saying the current system was like a 30-year-old tower of Jenga held together with sellotape, which is really confusing, as if you sellotaped a Jenga tower, you wouldn't be able to remove the blocks to make it a bit shaky. If anything, it'd be a pretty strong tower unless someone who didn't have a clue was paid to knock it over. There's been some concern from childcare experts that the Care Review misrepresents the Children Act of 1989, the legislation that protects the fundamental rights of children. What they obviously don't realise is under McAllister, who needs a whole act when he can do five bullet points on a YouTube? video and that'll probably just cover everything won't it oh and here's a certificate for making it through to the end and clicking like but is a reform needed what parts of the review are most concerning and does josh McAllister play pickup sticks by gluing them all together and, and buckaroo by pinning all the items to the donkey with tax this week i spoke to caroline willow a former child protection social worker and long-standing children's rights campaigner Caroline is now director of a charity called Article 39, which fights for the rights of children living in institutional settings. 
Caroline has been brilliantly vocal about her concerns over the care review, and so I asked her exactly what the implications of it are for children in the care system, the consequences of running children's services for profit, and just how she is at Jenga. No, OK, not the last one. Uh, just a warning that this conversation, as I mentioned earlier, contains references to, though not details of, child abuse, if you are sensitive to that. Um, it was absolutely great chatting to Caroline about something that is being criminally underreported on right now, despite affecting the lives of many, many children. I hope you find this as informative as I did. Here's Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Thank you for being on the podcast this week. Um, I think let's start right at the top in that, uh, you know, we've been told for ages by the government that there are issues with the children's social care system and it needs a big reform because it's an over-bureaucratised system. Um, is, is, is that right? Are there current issues with, with how the children's social care system works? Thanks for having me. Um, well, I would always start with the children and families rather than the government, the ch- children and families who rely on children's social care. And that's um, hundreds of thousands, millions of people uh, in our country at different times in our lives uh, need help from children's social care. So that can be uh, families where a child or an adult uh, is disabled or very poorly. It can be where grandparents, uncle and aunties are looking after children because their mums and dads um, have mental health difficulties or addiction problems. It can be uh, a child has suffered devastating rape, sexual assault within the family. Uh, A child has been subject to sustained physical violence and cruelty within the family. Uh, Teenagers being ejected from families because um, parents have got new partners who rejected them. Um, So children's social care deals with and attends to um, real suffering and hardships that families that we, we many of us know about, but there's lots in our community and society, and that includes politicians who have no idea of the suffering and hardships that many, many families, our neighbours, people in the next street, uh, people in the next town or village are suffering great adversity. And that's where we have to start rather than the government's agenda. And the truth is that the services for our communities and our families um, have been starved of funds deliberately starved of funds. Um, The austerity programme of the incoming 2010 government uh, was applied to children's social care as well. So it did not get uh, protection. Uh, The the austerity austerity programme was applied across the board. And so those services have year upon year suffered debilitating cuts uh, and starvation of funds. So that's the the first immediate and desperate need. But then, of course, it's how it's how help is um, offered and given and received to people that really does need to change. And that is a lot about money, but it's also not always about money. It's about values, attitudes and culture, which is affected by money, uh, but not always. 
Well, bearing in mind, so I would ask you about the second bit of that because the first bit is, is sadly something the government keep doing where they keep saying this system's falling apart because of the last 10 years and it always seems to be, oh, I wonder who the last, it was in charge the last 10 years. We always seem to ignore that bit. Exactly. That it them, and it, it's always a result of austerity. Um, so I assume that with the proposed care review uh, that's going to be led or is being led by Josh McAllister, uh, the, that isn't being taken into consideration, the kind of damage of austerity. And I wondered about the other factors that you mentioned. What's, uh, are they being considered by this proposed care review? Are uh, What are the concerns about what is now being recommended? Yeah, uh, I think you chose your words exactly right there. The damage of austerity, uh, because it has been uh, and continues, because if you if you damage something so severely, then just because you make an announcement that austerity is over doesn't mean that the damage disappears uh, and everything is fine the next day, week or, or month. Um, and the, the care review uh, that was uh, launched or started work in, in March um, is looking at the whole system of children's social care. Um, now, just to go back uh, before uh, the 10 years of austerity, um, I, I was a local authority social worker with children in care in from the uh, mid 80s. Um, so I've been in and around uh, the children's care system for over 30 years. Um, and I and, and uh, you know, you'd be hard pushed to find a social worker that says, oh, the problems only started in, in 2010. Um, the, 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 these are very in, entrenched uh, uh, fault lines within children's social care, both within the care system and within the, 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 the assistance and help that families get when children uh, are living within with their mums and dads. Um, the problem with the care review, uh, well, there, there, there's there's many, but let's just try and 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 categorise, uh, you know, maybe two or three main problems. Uh, firstly, is its scope. It's looking at absolutely everything, and tied to that, it is looking at absolutely everything in haste. Um, it, it's meant to be all wrapped up within a year. Now, you just think back to what I said at the beginning of, of, of all the different scenarios, uh, life circumstances of children and families who rely on children's social care and need really great help uh, from social workers and others when they're struggling. And people can struggle um, for a week, uh, for three months, and people can struggle for, for most of their lives and need help from children's social care and then adult uh, social care. So the, the idea that all aspects of children's social care, from the protection we give to or offer to children and to teenagers who've been raped by their dad, being raped by an uncle, their granddad, uh, the protection we give to a child who's been uh, severely beaten up by, by a parent or su subject to sustained cruelty, to families struggling uh, with poverty, 
over generations and, and the, the, the well-being of the, the adults and the children uh, in the family uh, being, you know, severely uh, hurt and damaged. The idea that you can look at all of that in a year um, is implausible. It, it lacks credibility, cannot be done. Um, and then the leadership of the care review um, is the, the review is being led by an individual who does not come from this, this, this um, area. Now, your listeners might be thinking, well, that, that's right, isn't it? That means that that person must be independent. They don't come with all the baggage. They don't come uh, with, with all of the, you know, the, the assumptions and, 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 and they'll come with a fresh pair of eyes, open ears and all the rest of it. Um, but to do a review in such haste um, whilst you're learning, whilst you're uh, completing your induction process in children's social care is, I think, an injustice uh, to children and families who rely on children's social care now. And those of us, uh, because any of us, any of us at any point could rely and need uh, to call upon children's social care. So it's the scope, the speed, the leadership, um, and the closeness of the review uh, to government. Uh, because the, the individual that has been selected to run the review uh, has very uh, close relationships with government and has formally, very recently, before taking up this post, uh, run an organisation that was dependent on substantial government funds from when it was set up. It's, I mean, we're seeing it, you know, again, sort of comparing it to all the other things that the government are currently doing. We're seeing it again where things are done very, very fast to say they're doing something, even though it's not enough. And it's often with somebody they've brought in because they know them rather than because they've got the correct experience. Um, and, and uh, you know, and, and what is a particular worry in this area, as with, with many other areas, I suppose, is that it's going to have a direct effect on children's lives. And I think one of the... Um, one of the really shocking things I found, in fact, sort of reading through your petition, what you're currently uh, campaigning against, is that uh, children now are not going to have any care once they hit 16. Is that is that correct? If you can explain it to me a little bit, but I mean, it seems pretty horrifying that they're just going to be left alone as soon as they as soon as they hit a certain age, and that's it, job done. Don't need to worry about them anymore. That's really upsetting. It's it's it is really upsetting. And actually, I, I mentioned earlier about being in and around the children's care system for over 30 years. And I've never been so upset, actually, um, professionally and personally. Um, and we have reached a, a, a new low uh, as, a, as a country um, in that the government has passed uh, or introduce secondary legislation. Uh, this is legislation that ministers uh, can, can table in parliament and it's not given the same scrutiny or challenge, anywhere near the same scrutiny or challenge as bills that go through parliament and become acts of parliament. And they've 
they've introduced this secondary legislation that effectively, I won't go into the technical detail, uh, don't want to uh, uh, bore, bore your uh, listeners, um, but effectively it says that uh, children in care must always be in homes where they receive care. Uh, and homes that are regulated by one of the inspectorates. So that could be Ofsted or the Care Quality Commission. But, and this is the big but, um, only if they are aged 15 and younger. So those, that's the law and that came into force uh, on the 9th of September, 2021. Um, and that was introduced against the backdrop of sustained media investigations, including a very uh, uh, substantial investigation by BBC Newsnight into the harms of what's called unregulated accommodation. So local authorities paying mostly uh, over three quarters are run for profit. So paying owners of properties uh, to, to let out a room, a shared house uh, for children in care um, where they don't receive any care. Because if the owners of those properties provided accommodation plus care to children, we have an act of parliament, the Care Standards Act, that says they have to register with Ofsted as a children's home and meet uh, quality standards, which are in law. So this is bypassing the legislation around care. And so the scandal, the, the media, researchers, uh, uh, children's charities have uh, over the past decade and more, um, amassed substantial evidence of children in care being put in these properties, including under 16s, but mostly uh, teenagers aged 16 and 17 being put in these properties where they don't receive any care. Um, the government's response to that huge scandal was to introduce this secondary legislation, which says that can never happen if they're age 15 or younger. For the children that are age 16 and 17, they are proposing to introduce standards and to regulate those properties, but they're doing it outside of the children's homes system. Um, so instead of the nine quality standards for children's homes, which includes care, they're proposing four standards, which deliberately omits care. So it's, it's, it's creating a new, uh, and private providers uh, do use this terminology, it's creating a new market uh, for property owners um, to get, get uh, serious money, uh, you know, the, the, Owners, owners um, receive uh, vast sums of money from local authority without having to provide care and supervision for children in care. Um, 
Now, the scandal of this happened, that's a scandal on its own. And that is, as I say, an absolute new low uh, for the care system. Because now we have it in law and soon we'll have it in standards. So the absence of care for children in care will be regulated for the first time. Um, so that is an absolute new low. We know for sure it will cause horrendous suffering and damage to children. I can absolutely assure that, but that will happen because it's already happening. So that, that is a certainty. Um, on top of that, the care review set up by the government launching in March um, with the, the banner headlines of this is going to create and, and bring forth love and stability for children in care. The care review is supporting the government. Uh, the, 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 their document that they published in June uh, welcomed the government's uh, legislation and the plans for the standards. Um, and had that care review been what it says on the tin, an independent review of care, then how could you possibly uh, go along with, stand next to uh, teenagers going without care? And, and you know, there's, there's, this is one of the very peculiar uh, characteristics of our care system for children in our country that goes way beyond uh, the last 10 years. This, this, is, this, this is kind of ingrained in the care system. And it's one of the things that a truly independent care review uh, would have, would have uh, set its mind to. Uh, and and what's, what's ingrained in it is this idea that you have to um, prepare children for being on their own. And you have to, you have to uh, make them resilient and, and kind of uh, ready to be lonely and isolated and to live their adult lives without love and nurturing. And, and, and what this legislation from, from the 9th of September 2021 and the proposed standards do is give that the legitimacy of law and regulation. Um, and it's intolerable. And it's why my charity is um, in the High Court in December uh, challenging it. It's, it's it's so upsetting, so upsetting that they push such things. And, and you know, I wondered, you know, is there also part of it that by creating these different categories, does it look better for the government in terms of figures? Because suddenly they've got a, you know, a number of children that they they don't need to care for, and therefore it looks like they're doing better care for the for the younger. Is that is that you know, does it does it have uh, that sort of benefit for them that by changing these standards, it'll it'll look overall at the end they'll be able to say, well, we've improved care. Is that what the concern would be from this as well? I can't see from any angle that the government could look good from this. I think um, 
as with so much related to children's social care and the care system, um, it goes unnoticed. So um, who cares? And we've got a care review because who cares? Um, so I can't, I can't see that anyone who spends more than three minutes thinking and feeling about this can think, hmm, I can see. So even if you were a political strategist and you weren't somebody who was a parent or could remember being 16 or you were a, an empathetic human being, fully, fully formed, fully feeling human being, let's put that to, to one side. If you were a straightforward political strategist who, I'm not saying those are mutually exclusive, however, if you were a government minder and you wanted to be uh, getting the ticks rather than the crosses for the government. I can't see that more than a few minutes thinking about it, you could uh, devise a list for a government minister to say, do you know what minister, this is gonna make you look good because of X, Y, Z. Um, how can it possibly uh, make make uh, a government minister think that it's a, a job well done, a government minister who is responsible at this point in their lives. And what a privilege and an honour it, it, it is and ought to be uh, to be, uh, to, to have a, a segment of your adult life when you are in government and you are in charge of uh, what the care system uh, offers and gives to children who who cannot live with their parents what what an absolute honor that that is um, and for you to be in that segment of history which introduced legislation which said uh, children must always be cared for when they're in care up to the age of 15 and to have introduced standards which regulate for the first time the absence of care. Um, I genuinely cannot see um, any, any political benefits. Um, what the, 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 the reason policies like this, um, or one of the reasons uh, continue is because of the the lack of of, of, of um, public debate and public media coverage. Uh, it, it it it's not seen uh, as as one of the big issues, uh, and that is one because it's children. Two because it's children from uh, poor families. Uh, and three, it's very uncomfortable. Um, it, it, it involves having to face up to very uncomfortable feelings that there's children in our communities who have been desperately mistreated and who have suffered um, gravely. And, and who, who, you know, in terms of media coverage um, and, and, and public fascination with certain media stories, um, how how many um, people out there, week by week, are uh, grabbing a newspaper and looking for the page which tells them how children in care are doing, versus you know, celebrity what celebrities are wearing or 
uh, you know, what the latest uh, scandal is in, in Westminster. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. We'll be back with Caroline in a minute, but first, there is a teeny tiny chance the health and care bill won't have gone through the Commons by the time you hear this. Uh, you know, for example, if aliens just happen to land and abduct all the MPs just before they vote, or uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg forgets to enclose his human form properly and accidentally envelops everyone into the void in his chest. Um, Labour should be voting against it, but who knows, they'll probably try to make a point by abstaining or voting for it, but while crossing their fingers or something. And all the other parties will vote against it, and some Conservatives say they're going to, but they've probably got lobbying jobs with the private health companies that will benefit, so won't actually bother. Why is this bill worrying though? Well, there's absolutely loads of reasons, uh, including how it gives a terrifying amount of control to Sajid Javid over the health service. And he's someone I'm not sure I'd trust to watch my car for a minute because I'd come back and find it was now part owned by BlackRock. So there's that. There's the fact that it's going to remove all the devolved powers from Scotland and England. Uh, it's the fact that basically your healthcare is going to become some sort of postcode lottery, which would be terrifying unless you live in the postcode NH5. I'm not sure that place exists. Um, there's a number of reasons. It's very scary. But I don't want this week's show to go until the end of time, so I'm just going to talk about one bit, which is the bit you've probably heard about. The social care lifetime cap is being raised to £86,000, and that's how much individuals, i.e. you or moi, uh, will have to pay towards their care costs. After that, it is paid for by local authorities who, as you know, have tons of cash right now. They're just loaded, all them local authorities, absolutely loaded. 
Currently, if you have £23,500 in financial assets, uh, you have to fund your own care. But that's now being lowered to £20,000 in assets. So, under £20,000 of assets and you pay now. Great news for us millennials and gen turners. Um, over and up to £100,000 of assets, you're going to have to pay up to £86,000 for anyone to give a shit about you when you're in need. So this means, in a way, more people will be covered by local authority funding for care. But also, in another way, means people with only a teeny bit of assets may have to pay the same amount as someone with a fair bit. It also turns out only the amount people contribute per will count towards the cap and anything the government contributes won't. And what that means is the less you have, the more you're going to be putting in than someone who's got more assets. So, if you're in the southeast where house prices are stupid and average £371,000, you're only going to be using 23% of your assets. But in the north, where the average house is £160,000, it's going to be over half. If you've not got any savings, that could really mean that you end up losing your home in order to cover your costs. Meanwhile, everyone's covering the costs of those with more money so that they can lose less of it. The government says it's fairer if everyone pays the same, but that is a really strange view of fair, isn't it? I mean, it's like saying it's fairer if everyone gets to race in the same type of car, but one of the racers needs a specially fitted mobility car in order to use it, one is a child and can't reach the pedals or drive, and the last one is a cat and doesn't actually know what a car is and just keeps licking it. Now, that analogy might not really work, as no one should be signing a child up to take part in a car race. But what I mean is, everyone paying the same isn't the same as everyone paying their fair share according to income, which would actually be fair. And what this will do is simply mean a whole lot of people will be losing homes for care, while others will be getting all that care and all the homes and keep all their savings, and all the while will be helping them with increased national insurance contributions. There is, of course, a chance, uh, and I know I make this joke quite often, but what maybe what the Conservatives meant by fair is yet again that it's like one of those rigged fairgrounds where you'll only be able to win if you know the person manning the coconut shy. It's not exactly great optics for the government, is it? That if you want care, you're going to have to lose your home. But I suppose if you want them to care, you're then going to have to give up your home for it. So, yeah. Hopefully all of that is irrelevant, as uh, by the time you've heard this, it won't have passed. <laughs> I mean, it's a Tory majority, so everything goes through. We can only hope that somehow Jeffrey Cox is found to have had 12 free social care plans that he's getting all on the taxpayer, and then maybe Johnson will be forced to U-turn and bring in a bill that means exactly the same, but sounds a lot nicer when written down. And now, back to Caroline. Yeah, it, it, it's horrific that this isn't front page all the time. Exactly. You know, the, the, I mean, I, I think probably because it would be so damaging to the government if everyone knew how much they were neglecting children. Um I, I wonder as well, is there, is there an aspect of why they push this through that's also about because it, it's privatising the system, just increasingly privatising the system? Um, you know, so, so so much of the children's social care system is now being run for profit. Um, and, and I, you know, sort of with, with many things that have been privatised, we're not seeing any improvements from the, you know, with NHS privatisation, it's not causing any improvements. Is, is that similar with... Children's care services has has the increased privatisation caused considerable damage to it, or has it, has there been any benefits to it at all? I don't I don't think increased privatisation um, is a kind of political objective for this. Um, I see that they have uh, the 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 um, numbers of teenagers coming into care has exponentially grown. The care system has itself uh, uh, been um, diminished by austerity. Um, it's not been protected. So whereas within families, uh, when, when we uh, uh, face hard, hardship and adversity, like we all did uh, in the, the sudden dramatic lockdown, 
uh, from March 2020, our instincts, if we have children in our families, is to protect and 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 to 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 stand back uh, and give them the best and 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 the first. Um, and that that hasn't that that didn't happen in austerity. The the and and also the the other uh, political project of which ran alongside, which is the to shrink the state and deregulation. So that didn't happen with the care system. And we're now at the point where. Um, you know, 24% of children in care are teenagers. So that's that's the position the government is facing, that they have a system that can't, doesn't have enough uh, homes, care and homes for children in care. And so what's happened, in my view, is that teenagers have been sacrificed as a way of rationing the children's care uh, system. Now, in terms of profit making um, over the period of austerity and before, so it's not it's not just um, recent governments. Um, profit making in children's social care has uh, proliferated, and the 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 point about that is that where you have profit making uh, in public services is that public funds, so money that we as members of the community chip in together because we want people uh, to be protected in times of need and we want ourselves to be protected in times of need. So our, we all contribute that what it means is that um, part and sometimes very significant parts of those, those contributions end up in private pockets um, instead of sustaining, developing, building public services. So that's that's the kind of, you know, the, the, the first and, and uh, usual critique of profit making. Um, uh, so and it, it, it it's no it's no comeback to say oh sometimes or often um, a, a, a children's home uh, can it, that's run for profit um, is it, it is is the same price of a children's home that's run by a local authority because you know that the children's home that's run on the same costs. Uh, well, money must be going somewhere because it's 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 not it's not being uh, run as a charity or as a as a as a as a you know benevolent enterprise. Um, for me, the, the 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 aspect of profit making that I've most um, attended to over the, over the last uh, twenty or so years is not been so much as to where are the public funds going that that's not been you know obviously I'm aware of that and there's lots of other writers that keep track of that uh, for me it's been about safeguarding and the child protection risks that come from uh, big business being involved in uh, caring for looking after protecting children and 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 I've mostly been looking at that within the context of uh, child prisons, 
Um, so that that's been my concern that I I have uh, seen the um, the risks, substantial risks to child protection from having big business um, running uh, running institutions uh, for children for very very vulnerable children. That's uh, particularly sort of recently been a lot of stories about G4S running children's prisons, haven't there? And which G4S, I'm sure listeners can remember, have been involved in a number of uh, failures of services for, for quite some years now. Um, and what's what are the concerns or what's been happening in children's prisons with G4S that are, that are causing concern? Yeah, well, the 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 latest scandal of G4S's uh, involvement in child prisons is Oak Hill uh, secure training centre, which is in uh, Milton Keynes, and this um, is a child prison, and it's one of two remaining child prisons that G4S uh, runs, and the latest scandal um, concerns uh, allegations of serious abuse of children, of allegations of, um, of, of concerns around child protection being internally investigated rather than uh, going to the local authority, which by law is, is um, meant and required to investigate uh, child protection concerns. Um, and it, children's basic day-to-day care from from education to the physical surroundings from the time they are allowed out of their cells or or bedrooms as as they call them Um, and we we had a whistleblower come to us um, in September um, who did not believe that um, their concerns, their very serious concerns were being taken seriously. And so they came uh, to us and we notified the local authority and then the, uh, and copied in the inspectorates of the very, very serious allegations. Um, And we believe that that resulted in the inspectorates going back in in early October which then led to an urgent notification being issued by the inspectorates. An urgent notification is the kind of nuclear option that the inspectorates have got. So it's the it's the it's the most powerful tool that the inspectorates have when they go into child or adult prisons to say uh, this this cannot go on this cannot continue what we found here today or this last week we cannot um, tolerate this these conditions and this treatment and this level of risk and that was issued in respect of Oak Hill Secure Training Centre. Now this 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 is is follows a long line a long succession of scandals of G4S uh, and child prisons. And back in 2016, following a panorama expose 
of very serious uh, abuse of children, plus plus uh, concerns, allegations around uh, fraudulent reporting. Um, following that expose, uh, G4S announced they were selling their business. They were selling their children's business, uh, including Oak Hill Secure Training Centre. Uh, and they didn't do that. Uh, they continued. Now, they've not had, for Oak Hill Secure Training Centre, they've not had a satisfactory inspection report since 2016. And actually, that 2016 followed an inspection in late 2015. So in all that time, they announced, firstly, it was incredible to me uh, uh, as a social worker um, who, who started her career in, in child protection. It's incredible to me that following the uh, expose by Panorama, and then there was a serious case review, uh, and, and other investigations, and it's all out there in the public domain. The, the public inquiry on sexual abuse has also reported on Medway. So we've got all that documentation, and it's absolutely, which, which is just a catalogue of, of suffering, of children suffering, and of, of failure to protect children. And it's incredible to me that it was then left to G4S to issue a press release to say, oh, we're selling our businesses. And this is what I mean in terms of the child protection risk of allowing big businesses, because why cannot a government of the sixth richest country in the world, a developed country, why cannot government ministers say to a, a multinational, do you know what? you're not fit to be looking after children. You're not fit to be looking after vulnerable children. Uh, and, and we've got all this evidence. Um, and, 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 and so uh, we're, 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 we're stopping. We're stopping this relationship now. We're, we're, we're ending this contract. Um, and and, and we're, we're, we're taking over. Um, it was left to G4S to announce that it was no longer uh, that it was going to sell its business, uh, and it's been, as far as I can see, it, it's it's subsequently been left to G4S uh, to not sell its business, um, and 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 that that is what um, uh, takes my attention. So of course, public funds and and what we pay in our taxes and our VAT and all the rest of it, and whether that's going to to uh, keep councils doing well for children and their families. Of course, that's incredibly, uh, an incredibly important area of review and investigation. For me, I'm more preoccupied with, uh, does, does these big businesses running uh, establishments and institutions for children, does it uh, jeopardise? children's safety um, and, and for G4S and Serco before it, when it ran children's prisons, uh, my unequivocal answer is, is yes, it does. Uh, and on that basis, for child protection reasons, they should not be 
anywhere near um, looking after very vulnerable children. No, 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 absolutely not. And it's it's so shocking. I mean, and one of the things that always, you know, always seems to happen with all these, you know, it always requires a whistleblower revealing these things. It always requires someone going under the radar and 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 revealing it. You know, it it, it really feels like um, you, you mentioned that the public inquiry sexual abuse. You know, survivors weren't listened to during that. We're now having care leavers and, and children in care and care is not being listened to for the care review and you know having it seems to be the same thing again and again and again that it, it's impossible to uh to highlight the, the, the issues any other way and I, I wondered what you can kind of you know what what can be done when when that seems to be the issue and I'm assuming with the care review from from what I've read the people that need to be listened to aren't being paid attention to in in, in their concerns about it so how how do we raise awareness about this and what what are the steps to to get any kind of uh, changes? Yeah. Um, well, you're right that it's a kind of perpetual themes. Uh, and again, I, I would have wanted the care review uh, to seriously address the scale of uh, sexual abuse in our country and in our organisations and institutions. And that hasn't um, happened yet. Um, and I'm not hopeful that that will be attended to by the care review. Um, I think what we need to do is um, be vocal and, and public about our concerns. And if we have ideas and proposals for making children's social care and the care system within that um, much better to um, articulate those ideas and proposals, put them in writing, uh, publish them online. You know, we can, we can, most of us have access uh, to, to uh, computers and are able to upload uh, uh, information and documents. Um, I'm a kind of a bit old school and, and, and have, a, have, a, have an idea which increasingly is becoming quite quaint, I think. But I have an idea that before you uh, propose uh, radical, big changes, you need to have really carefully uh, done your homework and done your research and, and, and crossed off every kind of possible uh, question and, and really given it your thorough attention and, and time. Um, and actually, I see with this care review that that, that really uh, is 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 um, is not the approach that the care review is taken. So, for example, um, the uh, a, a national uh, fostering charity, uh, a, a chief executive of, of that charity, has published a document uh, which more or less runs across seven pages which is proposing that um, the care system is run as a national uh, entity, which effectively means uh, local authorities losing their legal obligations towards children in care. Um, and that is huge, bigger than huge. Um, and... Uh, but that is being uh, looked at seriously by the care review. And I just find it absolutely remarkable that 
a seven-page document um, could lead to, uh, you know, the radical uprooting, structural reorganization of care, completely distracting everybody and everything. Um, now, that seven pages might not live on its own. There may be a whole load of people that have been discussing this and thinking about it um, for years. And it may be that this is our time because actually the, the, the lead reviewer of the care review has put on record that one of the reasons or the principal reason it's being uh, undertaken in haste is to capitalise on the House of Commons majority that this government has got. Yeah. So it could be that this they are seizing the moment. Um, and again, it may be seen as as old fashioned and quaint. Um, but I'm I'm of the view that if there are people, if there are many people that believe that this is best for children and families, um, or they've convinced themselves, um, then set it out. Do the work. Do the homework. Um, you know, it's it's a basic democratic obligation. Um, if if you want to take the care system, if you want to uh, sever the legal relationship and the legal uh, obligations between local authorities and and children in our communities uh, who who are in the care of the state, then then do the work, do the work, and 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 uh, seek. If you've convinced yourself, then then seek to convince us because seven pages doesn't do it for me, uh, and a and a one hour online event which is which is happening uh, soon um, and that's telling in itself um, why 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 has that proposal uh, you know the the our response my charity's response for the for, to the case for change which was the interim report of the care review is packed with ideas you know one of the ideas we proposed was that families who are um, receiving help from children's social care that they um, are entitled that they should be entitled to increased support from child benefit um, because that's the least stigma in, in fact it's not stigmatizing that's a universal uh, form of social security that we're all entitled to um, why don't we have uh, different rates of that going up to very significant rates um, that children's social workers, children and family social workers can, can activate, um, but that it still comes through um, a different um, mechanism. So it's not social workers doling out uh, poor relief, uh, but, it's, but it's through our social security system. Well, that's just one of many, many, ideas in all and we're just one small charity but why is it that a seven page document um, has been latched on um, 
And, and why does nobody know? Why does nobody know that the care review is looking at uh, taking responsibilities away from our local councils uh, and, and putting them into, you know, either a government, government being controlling, um, well, they haven't, they haven't said, you know, that, that, that's the point, they, they, they haven't said, uh, it's clear, it's clear they want um, these functions to come away from local authorities, but they haven't yet been public about um, how they see them being organised instead. Well, I mean, as you mentioned, one of the key things is that people don't know about this. It's not been highlighted enough. And obviously you're doing fantastic work with Article 39. Um, but I wondered that apart from yourself and and, and your charity, um, just what other experts, writers, websites, where would you recommend that listeners go to uh, in terms of solid information and reporting on the children's social care system? Who are the people that you go to for information? Yeah. Well, I, I would probably start locally. So if, 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 it, if it's pretty well new to you, I would start locally and go into a search engine and, and put in uh, children in care and the name of your local authority or uh, help for families and the name of the local authority. Every local authority um, has by law uh, a lead member, so a lead councillor for uh, children uh, social care and every council has a director of children's services so I would start local uh, to to just do some reading to get get an idea of how many families are being supported or being denied help what financial situation the council is in um, look for reports by local children in care councils uh, which are groups uh, of children in care and 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 care leaver forums, so um, adults that grew up in care or spent periods in care, they often uh, have their own websites and 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 um, put out uh, you know the, the information about the work they're doing. So I would start local, then on a national level, there's organisations like the Family Rights Group that is doing lots of, of work and, and, you know, is a, 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 a fantastic uh, charity um, around uh, the, the, the rights and entitlements of families as a whole. Um, there's there's, there's organisations like the Care Leavers Association. Um, Children's Rights Alliance for England is a very good organisation for looking at what the government's obligations around children's rights are and what the, the highest body in the world, the United Nations, has said the government must do uh, to improve the lives of children. Um, and then look for parent and, and, and child advocacy groups. So again, into a search engine, uh, there's lots of um, SEND, so special educational needs, disabilities, parent advocacy groups. There's lots of other children's rights organizations. I would, I would say this, wouldn't I? But if you follow us, if you follow Article 39 on Twitter, um, 
we we uh, retweet uh, lots of other the work by other organisations, and our focus all the time is on speak, people speaking for themselves. So children speaking for themselves, young people, adults, and 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 family. Uh, the rights of families overall, um, but our whilst whilst uh, the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, which is our framework, is very clear, and and our own domestic legislation is very clear that uh, it's it's imperative that children are supported to to grow up and to live. Uh, with respect and safety and to thrive within their families. So that's the starting point. Um, but when that cannot happen, uh, we are with the child. So our focus at Article 39 is, is unequivocally with the child uh, and what they need and have a right to, to have the best possible life um so if people do follow us um i'm not going to apologize in advance because this you know that that's that's what you you would be getting uh it's 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 children uh that keeps us going Thanks so much to Caroline for having time to chat with me last week. And thanks to my mum who recommended her. Um, you can find Caroline and the charity at article39.org.uk and on Twitter at article underscore 39. Most importantly, please sign the petition calling for the government to guarantee care for children up to age 18. And you'll find a link to that in the podcast blurb and, of course, across Caroline's socials too. Who else should I chat to? Um, I'm hoping to talk to someone about corruption and lobbying soon because that is current. Um, but I'm sure there's tons of other things I haven't covered on the show yet. Let me know if you have ideas on what they might be or preferably not just ideas, but, you know, suggestions. Because like, if you just send me sort of a weird spider chart that looks like you're trying to track a cure a serial killer I'll just be weirded out it'd be too complicated so just actual suggestions of who to talk to please and you can do that of course at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com and that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast forever gratefulness to your ear service and as I tell you a lot every week if you enjoy these word jams then please do tell other people who like word jams to subscribe and listen to this podcast too which unlike actual jams won't make their ears feel sticky or get them attacked by wasps so actually there's loads of loads of bonuses to this really and if you really really enjoy these word jams then why not join the patreon.com forward slash bro and send me even a mere £1 a month to support me being able to spend time on this show and maybe even give it a sweet five star review on the Apple podcast as I'm so close on there to cancelling out the one star that someone gave me ages ago saying I was just another Mr Angry about Brexit which has aged really well I think big murky buckets to Acast my brother last sceptic and don't forget to check out his new album and to Cat Day as well and this will be back next week when the government announces new amendments to the social care bill mean that every person in the north will only get care if they pay for at least three people in Surrey to have a loft extension because that's what levelling up is bye this week's show is sponsored by Boris Pigworld, a magical place for all the family except the Prime Minister's because he swears they aren't his and will they please leave him alone. The amazing U-turn ride that doesn't go where promised and just takes you back to the beginning but somehow further behind. And the British River's log flume where you cascade through mountains of your own turds. Come see all your favourite unmasked characters for the mere price of your home. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.